6 o'clock on the dot. And welcome to WORT's local news for Thursday, September 28th. I'm your host, Stacey Harbaugh. And I'm your host, Marcus Sleeve. In tonight's news, protesters and counter-protesters gather outside Planned Parenthood's East Madison location. Local officials share their definition of affordable housing with WORT. And expert in fishing reports on conditions as Madison sees the last warm weather days of the year. And Madison's own soccer team is approaching the end of their regular season. All these and more on tonight's news. This is Stacey Harbaugh and Marcus Slayton with your local news coming to you live from the WORT studios in downtown Madison during our fall pledge drive. Please keep your calls coming. Here's tonight's headlines. Wisconsin has signed on to an antitrust lawsuit against the online e-commerce giant Amazon. The lawsuit brought by 17 states and the Federal Trade Commission and filed in federal court in the state of Washington on Tuesday charges that Amazon has engaged in unfair and exclusionary practices that prevent potential competitors from entering into the market. It also alleges that those monopolistic practices led to higher prices for businesses and consumers. State Attorney General Josh Call announced this news earlier this week, just as the lawsuit had been filed. Wisconsin isn't the only state from the Midwest to sign on. Michigan and Minnesota have also joined. A new Republican bill would ban gender-affirming care for youth 18 and under. If enacted, it would ban medical procedures intended to change a minor's body to correspond to a sex different from their sex assigned at birth. The Wisconsin State Journal reports that Governor Tony Evers will almost certainly veto the measure should the legislation uh, legislature pass the bill. The American Medical Association and the American Academy of Pediatrics endorse gender treatments for adolescents. Additionally, the Wisconsin Public Health Association and the ACLU of Wisconsin have opposed similar legislation in the past. The bill follows identical proposals in other states that prohibit doctors from performing gender-affirming care. State Republicans introduced a similar bill in 2022, but that never came to a vote. The Wisconsin Supreme Court has rejected a lawsuit that would have prohibited the legislature from impeaching Justice Janet Protasiewicz. Republican lawmakers have warned that they might impeach the new justice, who called current legislative maps rigged, if she rules on lawsuits that claim the maps are unfair. Elaine Hansen-Heisel and Deborah Anderson argued in their suit that impeaching the justice would violate the constitutional rights of the Wisconsinites who voted for her. Protosewicz recused herself from that lawsuit, and the justices gave no explanation for rejecting it. Official proceedings haven't started, but the Assembly could impeach Protosewicz with a majority vote claiming corrupt conduct in office. Department of Health Services designee uh, Kirsten Johnson told state senators on the Health Committee that she doesn't support mask and man. Ma- <laughs> Excuse me. She doesn't support mask and vaccine mandates. Johnson stressed Wednesday that officials should have been more transparent during the pandemic, saying, quote, I think communicating more clearly about what we knew and what we didn't is important, unquote. 
The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reports that Johnson does recommend people get vaccinated and wear a mask when ill. She was appointed Milwaukee's health commissioner in January of 2021, but she stepped down this year after conflicts with City Hall. When asked about abortion, Johnson said that women deserve access to reproductive health care, but the DHS has always followed the law and will continue to follow the law. A Sparta man has been charged in connection with the invasion of the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021, the Wisconsin State Journal reports. Charles R. Walters, 37, was arrested Wednesday on a felony count of destruction of government property. He also faces misdemeanor charges of entering or remaining in a restricted building or grounds, disorderly or disruptive conduct in a restricted building or grounds, and parading, picketing, or demonstrating in the Capitol building. Walters made his initial appearance on the charges Wednesday at the U.S. Courthouse for the, dist- for the Western District of Wisconsin in Madison. Planning for a new indoor practice facility for the University of Wisconsin football team is advancing with the approval of the legislature's budget writing committee, which rejected expansion of the university's engineering school. The Wisconsin State Journal reports that the university has selected design and building teams for the practice facility. J.P. Cullen, Berner Schobel, and HOK are taking on what UW Athletic Director Chris McIntosh says, quote, is the largest capital project that we've ever tackled by a long shot, unquote. In May, the Republican-led Joint Finance Committee agreed to cover the remaining costs of the practice building. That same day, a Governor Tony Evers asked the committee to partially fund a new engineering building on the UW-Madison's campus. The engineering department claims it can accept only 1,200 out of about 2,000 worthy applicants a year due to space limitations. The university planned to get about $150 million in grants and gifts and asked the state to borrow the remaining $200 million for the project, but the committee rejected that proposal. Revenue from the athletic program will cover about $120 million of the practice facility's $285 million price tag. The expected completion date for the complex is 2026. Today, the city of Madison released a draft housing report that finds both affluent and lower income residents are living in apartments priced for middle income households. According to the Wisconsin State Journal, the report shows that nearly 12,000 low-income households are spending more than 30% of their income on rent or renting up. On the other hand, over 13,000 affluent households, those making at least 80% more than the area's median income, are renting down. That means that only half of Madison's 50,000 middle-income rental units actually house middle-income renters. Some developers argue that this demonstrates the need for more high-rent buildings, while others say that the city's development approval process gets in the way. They say that middle-income housing construction is cost-prohibitive, and they have to charge higher rent than they initially intended. Later in the show, WORT reporter Sarah Gabler has a deep dive on affordable housing in Madison, featuring comments from nearly half of the city's alders. Madison police are warning of a spike in bicycle thefts in the city this year, with more bikes reported stolen last month than in any other month in the past six years. The MPD says 459 bike thefts have been reported so far in 2023. About two-thirds of those were in the downtown Isthmus. 
Now that's compared to 348 bike thefts in all of 2022 and 297 in 2021. Consequently, MPD encourages people to always lock up their bikes with a U-lock for the frame and a cable through the rear wheel. Hiding a GPS tracker on your bike might also be advisable. And take steps now in the event that your bike is stolen. Please take a photo and write down your serial number and also review your insurance policy to make sure your bike is covered. You can also rent or register your bike on bikeindex.org. And now on to today's top stories. Earlier this month, Planned Parenthood resumed abortion services in Wisconsin. Since then, Madison's Eastside Center has seen a flurry of activity. Patients are filling the center schedule, and protesters are gathering on the sidewalks outside to voice their dissent. The protesters are, for the most part, members of Visual for Life, a Catholic group that conducts a steady presence at prayer vigils outside of health centers in the Madison area. According to their website, they, quote, pray, fast, and peacefully witness for an end to intentional destruction of all innocent human lives, unquote. Yesterday, they started another 40-day campaign of consecutive sit-ins. Counter-protesters, some independent and some with the Madison Abortion and Reproductive Rights Coalition for Healthcare, also showed up to demonstrate. Christina Kivlin is a contributor on her turn, WORT's 30-minute feminist news show, airing on Sundays at 11 a.m. Christina was at Madison's East Planned Parenthood yesterday and heard from folks on the ground. WRT news reporter Faye Parks has some highlights from those interviews. This is the first day of the Wisconsin Right to Life 40 Days of Life Prayer Vigil in which they have people out here harassing and just being present unwantedly outside of Planned Parenthood. It means a lot to me, especially because this was a clinic that I used for several years when I didn't have any other health insurance at all. This was all I had. I remember coming here one time after the clinic was closed. I didn't realize the clinic was closed. It was after hours. I was trying to pick up a refill of birth control. Fortunately, I was in my car, but as I was trying to leave the parking lot after realizing nobody was there, there was a guy that approached my car window and was trying to get me to interact with him, and I did not feel safe or comfortable then. It's just important to me that we show up to show our support for people in the community who need to access health care. My name's Pat, and I can't believe that I'm here at the age of 80. I had my first child because there was no abortion and no birth control. And then I fought my entire adult life for Roe v. Wade, and here we are again. If you want, you can give your name. Kate. And I also see that you have uh, two children with you, is that correct? Yep. Can you tell me why it is that you're out here fighting for abortion rights? Yeah, that's an emotional question. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this guy wouldn't exist without an abortion, you know, which is why it feels emotional to be here. And I think that also speaks to why this is so frustrating. Literally all we want is to be able to control our bodies. I have kids. I love kids. I love my kids. And also, I love the fact that I had an abortion 
like three months into the COVID pandemic and avoided the financial destruction of daycare bills for more years than I could possibly handle them. Can you tell me a little bit about why it's so important for you to be out here protesting, even though they did say that it is legal to have an abortion in the state of Wisconsin? I'm here because I am a retired nurse, and when I was a student nurse, pre-Roe v. Wade, I took care of young, poor women who did not have access to a safe legal abortion. And they went out of desperation to people who would do it under filthy conditions. They came to the hospital hemorrhaging and often developed sepsis. People die from sepsis, and many of those women did across the country. It was happening everywhere. I say never again, and we can't go back. And we need safe legal abortions. They're part of health care. They're part of the reproductive rights of all women in this country. The bigots that are here today and the ones that we're hearing from, the very small, loud minority, that they need to look at the fact that their definition of when life begins is not a universal definition across religions. Where are they when we talk about public funding and when we talk about access to health care? They are thunderously silent. A housing snapshot released today says that Madison issued permits for 2,350 new housing units in the last year, largely located in multifamily buildings. Now, that's higher than average for the past decade, but a significant decrease compared to the year before. That's one of many reports examining the state of housing in Madison, perhaps its most pressing challenge moving forward. Reporter Sarah Gabler spoke with several Madison alders to get their perspectives on a key aspect in this crisis, affordability. Madison's housing market is in crisis. Rents are rising, and regular folks can't find a reasonably priced home anywhere near the isthmus. According to a new snapshot report released today, the middle-income housing market is flooded with both low-income and affluent renters, leaving fewer options for Madison's middle class. To understand what makes housing affordable, WORT invited 20 of Madison's alders to talk with us about how they defined affordable housing. Seven were available to share their perspective. These city council members concur that Madison is experiencing a housing crisis, and they say the common council is poised to do something about it. Earlier this month, Northside Alder Amani Latimaburis called for the creation of a housing task force, a proposal slated for discussion at tonight's meeting of the Madison Housing Strategy Committee. Many alders point to the local and federal definitions of affordability that are tied to household income. They reiterate that when a household spends more than 30% of its income on housing, they count as housing burdened. Federal definitions, which the city uses to determine subsidies, calculate affordability based on Area Median Income, or AMI. According to the recent Housing Snapshot Report, 11,695 of what are considered low-income households at less than 30% AMI have to, quote, rent up, which means that they're cost-burdened. 
Meanwhile, 13,495 households at greater than 80% AMI are renting down, which means that for them, housing is affordable. But affordability means so much more than the cost of rent. Derek Field of East Madison highlighted how transportation costs, including auto payments, insurance, gas, repairs, or bus fare, should factor into housing affordability. You know, housing affordability and transit, uh, transportation affordability are tied together. So if we're relying on um, more expensive modes of transportation, like single occupancy vehicle ownership, and that plus housing is over 50%, I, I think that that's what's often missing in the conversation about housing affordability. Alderfield says he's concerned about elderly constituents whose housing costs may be fixed, but are struggling to keep up with rising taxes and grocery bills. Alder Marsha Rummel, who represents parts of the Isthmus, says housing at multiple price points is necessary. She says the problem with much of the new development is that it's serving only the top 10% of the income market, and it's causing displacement and gentrification. And then sometimes what happens is these new developments that get approved demolish what's, you know, naturally uh, occurring affordable housing and not just what's the built environment. And, you know, the argument is, oh, it's used really hard at poor condition. But, you know, at some point we're just throwing away those lower priced units and not replacing them. Older Bill Tischler says that developments built on old shopping mall parking lots have created monumental growth in his district on the near west side, especially in the area of workforce housing, also called middle-income housing. Tischler adds that access to transportation and amenities are intertwined with housing, and more of it is needed near bus lines and public services like hospitals. It'd be very affordable for people to maybe find uh, housing, you know, five, ten miles outside of Madison, but trying to find that same kind of housing that's, that's convenient, close to the amenities, that's becoming far more difficult. When it comes to students, campus alder MGR Govindarajan wants to see options outside new luxury apartments. Yeah, so affordable housing for students really comes down to um, just being able to like pay your groceries at the end of the day and being able to still live a life after paying rent. Um, so putting a number to it, that, that comes down to about 600 to $800 is what most students say. Um, we sent out a survey earlier this summer with 1,700 respondents, and the vast majority of students had a range around that number. However, there isn't much student housing at that price point, and whatever does exist is in disrepair. Sabrina Madison's Far East Side constituents, who range from students to retirees and working-class folks, are finding it necessary to use or depend on resources like food banks or organizations that can pitch in for rent. One issue Alder Madison notices is that her constituents' hourly pay rates aren't rising in proportion to their rent. Folks are stressed out about the the amount that they have to pay from their paycheck in order to afford rent. And then you have folks who have to take on living with other people or, you know, having a couple roommates. And then you have situations now where their leases are not being renewed and they're in a situation where they don't make, they don't earn three times the rent. They may not have a credit score that is at least 650, for example, and they don't have the savings should they even get approved um, to pay both the rent and security deposit. When you're living paycheck to paycheck, losing your lease or experiencing a small hiccup in your paycheck can cause a housing crisis. No matter where you live, though, says Alder Dina Nina Martinez Rutherford of East Madison, you're impacted by the housing crisis. The housing crisis impacts all of us, and the reason it does 
is because more people are moving into the city, the higher our prices go for property, whether you want to purchase or rent, the cost of materials is increasing. And quite honestly, the state prohibits us from doing a lot of things like rent freeze and inclusionary zoning. To address the scope and complexity of the issue, just about everyone I spoke with said we will need a host of responses. They suggest increasing subsidies and housing density, raising the affordable housing budget, land banking, and new development across the region. Overall, though, the city will have to get creative. As Alder Tag Evers of Near West Madison asserts, the city can't delay addressing this issue. The city's makeup and its area median income is constantly changing as new people join the population. On a year-to-year cycle, we can target our public dollars increasingly to address what is essentially a market failure. It's an element of market failure where we assume that the private market can sufficiently meet the needs of housing individuals in our city. We can't build housing through the private market that's affordable for folks. Alder Evers would even like to see the private sector get involved, like tech companies did on the West Coast. If you have an idea or creative solution, contact your Alder. Tonight's Housing Strategy Committee began at 5 p.m., and the proposal to create a housing task force is expected to return to the council next Tuesday. Reporting for WORT News, I'm Sarah Gabler. And we have to cut in uh, once again for our fall pledge drive. Hi, I'm uh, Sean Pohl here again with Jay Davis. How's it going, Jay? It's going fantastic. We managed to accomplish one donor in our first hour in Democracy Now! That's and awesome. the two of us are back for your local news. Local news is one of the most unique and valuable segments we produce here at WORT, and we could not do this sort of thing without support from people like you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is th- this is what I was talking about an hour ago when we first started. You know, this is community radio. Without you, without the donors, without the listenership that we have here at WORT, we would not be able to give you the important stories, you know, what you need to hear on a day-to-day basis. Because, you know, this is breaking news. This is up-to-date news of what's happening in Madison, what's happening in Wisconsin now. Yeah, I'm sure if you're a longtime listener, you've noticed that our focus is different than commercial uh, radio, commercial television, any sort of other news program here in Madison. We are really unique in the types of stories we're able to bring to you, and that is in no small part due to the donations of people like you. So if you'd like to donate, please call us at 608-256-2001 or go online to our donation link at wortfm.org. Yeah, absolutely. You can be the first donor of our news hour. We have a goal this hour of three to five donors. You can be the first one this hour, and you can you can help. You can own the news. You can be a part of this community. That's that's absolutely right. That's a unique opportunity that you, yes, you listening, have right now. Uh, call us right now, and uh, we thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much. Time is now 6.32, and you're listening to the local news on WORT, 89.9 FM, right here in Madison. I'm your host, Marcus Slayton, here with fellow host Stacey Harbaugh. Thanks for joining us. Fall is officially here, even though it won't feel like it this weekend. So Nick Wiggyhout and Pat Hansberg get ready for the walleye bite in this week's Fishy Business. 
Alrighty, I am on the line now with Pat Hasberg over at the DNS Bait Shop here in Madison. Pat, uh, it's it's starting to feel a little bit like fall, at least it is today, although I think it's supposed to warm up again this weekend going into next week. But, uh, you know, fall is officially here now, even if it doesn't always feel like it. So how's the how's the fishing been lately? Fishing's been good. It's like you're saying, it's, uh, fall is officially here. It's not quite as chilly as it might normally be at a, you know, in, in years past, but um, the water is cooling down, and that has the fish in a better mood, and a lot of fish are starting to move shallower right now. So shore anglers are a little more happy coming in the shop. They're, they're starting to find some fish, uh, and just generally around the chain, fishing is improving. And let's move down that chain a little bit here, and starting with Lake Mendota, what's happening there? Oh, well, uh, the bluegill uh, bite out there still remains good on weed lines. Perch are elusive. Um, it's been like that all summer. A lot of small perch out there, and the bigger ones are hard to find. But the bluegills are keeping folks busy still on weed lines. But some of those gills have moved out to mid-lake humps, which is something they do every fall. And um, some, some folks are finding some nice nice gills on, on the weed lines out on mid-lake humps. But uh, walleyes and smallmouth are starting to move in shallower, so... Yeah, there, there's a lot of good action, and, and they got their fall feed bag on and, and are ready to uh, re- starting to get ready for winter. And now let's move over to Lake Monona. What's happening over there? Uh, kind of the same deal. Uh, bluegills are that had been suspended out there over deep water are starting to move in shallow. I, I'm hearing about a great bluegill bite off the Monona Terrace wall during the day and a good crappie bite there in the evening for a few hours. It seems like it, they just kind of shut off whenever they decide to shut off. But a lot of bluegills are also moving into the triangles off John Nolan Drive there and then Monona Bay at Birmingham Park. Uh, a lot of folks have been doing well down there and, and off the train tracks. Uh, and the musky bite continues to improve, and that's only going to get better. And then that'll, that'll be a great bite right up until we get ice. Speaking of muskies, let's head on over to Lake Wingra. Now, Wingra doesn't usually have as big of muskies, but uh, what's happening over there? Yeah, I mean, the muskies over there are uh, more active, and I'm hearing about some decent catches over there. But like you said, you don't hear about the the 50-inch monsters that you you find out on Monona and Wabisa, but some certainly some nice fish in that 30, 40, and even a little over 40-inch range. So some beautiful fish in there, and also a great largemouth bass bite over there, some really nice largemouths in there that enjoy all the tiny, tiny bluegills and perch that swim around in that lake. If there's one thing we can always count on, and that is Lake Wingra being consistent. Uh, let's uh, let's move over to uh, Wabisa and over on that area. What's happening over there? Uh, down on Wabisa, pretty much the same deal as Monona. A lot of the fish that were out deep are starting to move in shallower to weed lines. Uh, folks have been finding them in about 15 feet of water. Uh, the largemouth bass bite over there has been great all summer and uh, continues to be great. Uh, where it's uh, weedy, topwater frogs have been very effective. And I uh, heard about an occasional walleye uh, being, action being picked up over there between uh, Babcock Park and then Bible Camp area just to the south of there. And then moving over to Lake Higanza. Now, uh, earlier this summer, I know it was starting to pick up over there, but I believe last time we, we talked, if I'm remembering correctly, it had started to slow down a little bit, or at least people weren't finding the fish uh, as much. So what's, what's happening over at Lake Higanza these days? Well, I'll be honest, I haven't had a ton of reports of folks out on Kiganza. I don't know if that's a function of it being on the south end of the chain and my shop here is on the north end of the chain, or if people just aren't catching fish over there. You know, it's hard to say, but I know they were getting some bluegills on some of the deeper weed lines out there. So again, 15 feet of water or so, but I haven't heard 
a, much more than that. Just a few bluegills being picked up. Not, no word on, on walleyes down there. So I can't give a real, real accurate report. Uh, I, I just haven't heard much, to be honest. Lake Caganza continuing to be a little bit of a mystery to us. I know there's fish in there, but there have to dig a little bit to find them, maybe. Well, let's move That's over right. to some moving water. And before we get over to trout, let's take a look at the the rivers there. Yahara, Wisconsin River. What's What's been happening there? Well, we got a bunch of rain the last few days. Uh, I think here in the Madison area, we saw anywhere from two. And, and then I, I even saw a couple spots that said they got three inches of rain. So uh, quite a bit of rain came down. It wasn't really a downpour, so... With the ground being so dry, I, I, I feel like a lot of that rain got soaked up. But any rain event is going to raise uh, river levels, which actually helps because we've had some low, low water in a real dry summer. But up, I know up on the Wisconsin River, the smallmouth action up there has been great. It, the thing about low water is that it concentrates fish in any, any of the deeper spots that you can find. Down on the Rock River, I've heard about a good catfish bite at the Indian Ford and Jefferson Dams. And they're getting, starting to get some more walleyes on um, Lake Koshkanon down there. And uh, the white bass bite down there has also been pretty good. I don't know too much about uh, the Yahara River. I know they get some fish down there in Stoughton. But uh, otherwise, yeah, it's been been pretty quiet as far as reports out of the Yahara River go. And I've been hearing that this winter is looking like it's going to be a drier one as well, something to do with the weather systems and I think El Nino or something like that. I'm not a weather guy. You're going to have to listen on Wednesdays for that for Rob's weather report. He probably knows more than I do. But uh, that's what I'm hearing. So, yeah, it might be another year next year of some lower river levels there, water levels there. But for now, let's move over to some trout streams. How are those looking these days? Trout streams had been running uh, low and clear. I, I spent a bunch of time. I actually got out camping with my family out west of Madison in the Fenimore area. So did a bunch of trout fishing out there. Did uh, really well on hopper patterns. You know, that's that's what a lot of the trout are looking for right now is those big juicy bugs that plop down in the water. Uh, that's not to say hoppers are the only thing that will catch fish. Ants and beetles and uh, stuff like that will will still work. But, um, you know, just like a lot of fish, uh, trout know that winter's coming in. And, you know, the brown trout and the brook trout, uh, they spawn in the fall. So they're getting ready to spawn. They'll be doing that uh, end of October into November, and so they need a lot of energy to do that. So they're they're hungry, and it falls a great time to be out trout fishing. Well, Pat, we are running up against the clock here, but before we go, any final fall fishing advice for the people out there now that things are starting to cool down a little bit? Well, you know, it looks like another gorgeous weekend here, but those weekends are numbered, so I would just encourage folks to get out and enjoy the weather while it lasts because winter is not far away. Well, thank you, Pat Hasberg, for talking with me again this week. Remember, you can hear an updated fishing report anytime you want just by calling 608-BIG-FISH. It's simple, easy to remember. Give it a call. Pat, thank you again, and good luck out there. Thanks, Nate. Always a pleasure. And we're going to turn it back to Sean and Jay, who want to tell you a little something about how your support makes the local news happen during our fall pledge drive. Thank you, Stacy. Uh, Sean Bull here along with Jay Davis, and we want to just take a couple minutes out of your news broadcast to tell you about our fall pledge drive. And uh, why don't we talk a little bit about what WORT means to us, Jay? Yeah, absolutely. So I came to WORT earlier this year. I uh, happen to live downtown, which I'm incredibly thankful for. I just went to a festival and saw a WORT booth. 
and I wandered up. I, I'd seen the stickers all around town. Don't get me wrong, but I had really had no idea what they meant. But once I encountered the booth and I talked to the people there and found out what this station was, what what community radio was, you know, I <laughs> didn't know what it was before I encountered Wart and, you know, really learned how important it is. And, you know, it just, it really has, it's completely changed my outlook this year. You know, community radio is so important. It's become really important to me. What, what, what about you, Sean? What brought you to WORT? I think there might be a common thread in our stories. Uh, I was participating in uh, the media club at my college, MATC specifically, Madison College, mm. for those of you who are a bit younger and know it by the revised branding name. Uh, <laughs> Our news and talk director here at WORT, uh, Shali, actually came out to uh, the college and was asking my advisor, uh, you know you know anybody, uh, we are looking uh, for some people here at the station, and he recommended me specifically, so that's how I got sucked in, and I think it's the efforts of a couple of people who we are actually able to pay among all the volunteers at our station, there's a couple key people at the center who mm -hmm. we are able to actually give a salary to, and they are really what a lot of our programming revolves around and our volunteers, and they, they pull everything together. And that's another thing, that if you donate, you can help pay those people to, and they are super critical to help keep the station going. Yeah, absolutely. You're paying the staff collective, which is absolutely critical to keeping this station going to continue to recruit volunteers to go out into the community because yes, we have a building here. Yes, we need to upkeep it, but also we need to go physically out into the community and recruit folks that are going to help contribute to the station. And that costs money, you know, the, you know, not just paying people, but I mean, setting up a booth, buying a, a proper tent that catches the eye that draws people in, you know, it's these little things that you might not think about on the outside looking in, but these things cost money. And that's why we would love for you to be the first donor of the local news by calling 608-256-2001. We have Ralph standing by our receptionist today uh, to be able to take your call and send it to our uh, pledge phone call receivers and be able to take your pledge today. And yeah, it, it would just it would make the world a difference for us. Thank you, Ralph, for doing that, by the way. Uh, this this station is so wonderfully served by so many different kinds of volunteers. Uh, in addition, uh, when you donate at a certain level, you can actually get something back. We have mentioned this a couple times in the last couple hours. Uh, one thing we have not mentioned, at the $60 one-time donation level, you can get a mug. Specifically, it's a beautiful apple light green bistro mug uh it's got a wort exclusive logo on it i don't believe this is something we've done in past years this is uh, a new thing for donors this year if you're into mugs yeah, coffee tea if you're just mug uh, a mug collector uh this this is a this is a great item here for for you to add and to show your support uh, wherever you might that might be. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't have enough mugs, because I know you don't. We we always need another you can mug. Never. Yeah, never have enough mugs. And you need to add this one to your collection. This has a completely uh, unique logo that you can add to your collection. And you know, if you want to support W O R T, 
with your coffee break, then this is a great way to do so. So you can talk to our representatives at 608-256-2001 or go online at your own leisure, uh, completely at your own pace, wortfm.org, and uh, donate that way as well. And it's extremely easy. You know, going online, there's a big orange donate button. Just head there, click the button, and the steps are crystal clear to be able to take you all the way through the process. We would really appreciate you. You know, we are keeping an eye on the online donors just as much as we are phone donors. So, uh, make sure to stay tuned. That's another benefit we didn't mention. You donate now, we will shout you out personally by name, whatever information you give us. We will uh, praise you personally on air. So uh, get to it. Thank you so much. Right on. Thanks, guys. Please keep pledging your support as we go back to local news and commentary. Forward Madison had a roller coaster 10 days. Starting with the win to complete the first season sweep of the Henny Derby in the series' short history. After a recent stumble in the push to the playoffs, the final three games of the USL 1 regular season are pivotal. Now more from Ford Focus on all the ups and downs of your footballing flamingos. Hello again to everyone listening to WORT online and at 89.9 FM on your radio dial. Welcome to another edition of Forward Focus, a segment devoted to any and all things Forward Madison FC, Wisconsin's only fully professional soccer team. I'm one of your hosts, Grant Peters, assistant editor for FMFC-themed publication New Dog Mazine. Joining me as always is the editor of NDZ and the producer of Forward Focus, Andrew Schmidt, along with Director of Public Relations for Ford Madison FC, Evan Warwick. In our last segment, FMFC were taking the pitch that Thursday night for a matchup against the rival Richmond Kickers. Having already secured the coveted Henny Derby trophy, a win would give them a season sweep. They would do just that after goals from Derek Gebhard and Aiden Macias would give them a 2-0 victory and an overly jubilant flock end. Following the Henny Derby match, FMFC would have one more match at Bree Stevens Field against the high-powered Northern Colorado Hailstorm FC. Following that, FMFC would head back out on the road for a matchup against another tough squad in the Charlotte Independence. With a recap of the action and what transpired on the pitch, Evan, take it away. The end of September's busy schedule has almost arrived for Ford Madison, with matches against Northern Colorado and Charlotte. After working their way up the USL League One table into fifth place, Ford Madison had the opportunities to more solidify their playoff positioning with wins in both matchups. Northern Colorado came to Breeze on September 20th, riding a hot streak of their own, looking to continue their winning ways. While much of the first half was back and forth with few chances to speak of for either club, a golden opportunity came for Ford Madison at the end of the first half when they awarded a penalty, a rarity for them in USL League One play. Aiden Macias stepped up to the spot, fired it to the right side of the net, but the Northern Colorado keeper guessed correctly and saved Macias' attempt, keeping the match level. The match ended up finishing 0-0 with both clubs gaining a point in the process. 
Up next, Ford Madison traveled to beautiful Charlotte, North Carolina for a matchup against one of USL League One's top squads, Charlotte Independence. Fielding a slightly depleted squad in terms of the attack, the Flamingos looked to steal three points on the road in a tough environment. While Ford Madison controlled the tempo and flow of the match in the first 30 minutes, they were unable to find a first half goal to fully control the match. Charlotte gained confidence, put pressure on the Flamingos' back line, and were ultimately able to capitalize in on a first minute of stoppage time at the end of the first half to go into the break up 1-0 against the Pink and Blue. The second half would see Charlotte double their lead on a counterattack goal in the 62nd minute, and ultimately the match went 2-0 in favor of Charlotte. With just three matches remaining in the regular season, two of which are at home in Madison, FMFC currently sits in sixth place, occupying the last playoff position in USL League One. The Mingos are four points clear of South Georgia Tormenta for the final playoff spot, heading into the final stretch of the season. The next time to catch Ford Madison in action is this Saturday, September 30th at 5 p.m. against Lexington SC at Historic Breeze Stevens Field. On this Friday's episode of NDZ Live, the hosts talk with Forward Madison's Director of Soccer Operations and Development, Keith Tiemeyer. We asked Keith what he would say to fans who have been vocal about their frustrations with the inconsistent results during a pivotal push to the playoffs. No matter how you play, good, bad, indifferent, with the ball, without the ball, transitionally, whatever it is, north and south instead of east, whatever it is, um, I, I maybe didn't give enough credence to how much three points matters to everybody, fans included, the ownership. Um, the corporate partners, right. the Madison Hall of Fame guys that I spoke to today, yeah. um, my wife, <laughs> um, the, the other coaches' wives, <laughs> yeah, yeah um, absolutely, you know, and, and that's that's everybody again. It, it's Connor at the head, and it's uh, me in my role, and it's Matt as the head coach, and it's JP, and it's Neil as the assistant coaches, and Jim and Aaron Holbein who's joined us, and oh, wow. you mentioned the youth thing. The youth players know about it because we're still training once a week on Sundays right, right now. They know where where we are. And, yeah. um, and there's a great crew of fans that hangs out. Well, first of all, it comes to every game. There always is, right? And then there's another great crew of fans included in that bunch that come out afterwards and are in the forward club. And I try and make sure to walk in there. And I know how much three points matters to that group, too. Right. We're all aware of it. Um, I wouldn't say we're gripping it. I, I, I saw yeah. both sessions today. I saw training this morning before I went to this other talk. And, and then I saw the strength and conditioning session this afternoon at 3 o'clock. And, you know, the guys seem pretty relaxed. They seem... Again, they're aware, but they don't seem like, oh, my goodness, and squeezing yeah. the trigger and things like that. Yeah. So yeah. They're, they're focused. Yeah, very yeah. much so. I think that's a good way of saying it. Fans that feel that way, they have every right to. Um, fans that are concerned about that, they have every right to. Um, I think we all know what the challenges are for this club, and we just talked about one of them. Our schedule's sure. been difficult, you know, to have to play Wednesday, Saturday this past weekend with travel on the one yep. end of it, to have the three games in a row on the road with a smaller roster, trying to do it that way. Um, is that us? I don't know. Um, I do think we did some things, and our owner allowed us to do some things here um, in July and into August when we did three acquisitions of players um, to be allowed to add Pierre to our roster, to yeah. Silva. And, you know, it was an important goal and a big assist that he had at Central Valley to make sure we got a 4-4 tie out of that 100%. game. That was a disaster, right? Yeah. 
in wow. so many ways. You know, to be able to add Ozzy in a moment when we had some injury issues and some concerns, and we basically traded Monopoly money for a really good, solid player, and it's a good pickup for us. Yeah. And, yeah, and then to be able to negotiate and get a loan for Jason to give us cover, and as you know, Timmy Mel's still out, and you know, week to week still at this point, coming back a little bit. He's been entered back into training a little, and good to, um, hear. to be able to kind of solve some of those injury issues that we had at the same time that we had all these travel issues at the same time as we had a busy schedule with some Wednesday Saturdays in there. Yeah. Um, it's been important for us and, and thank goodness our ownership recognized that and said it's okay to go, go forward here, guys. Yeah. So that's one thing I would say to the fans is yeah. we've been able to add some pieces to our roster that's allowed us to at least tread water here a little bit, right? Yeah. Because, um, I mean, it definitely feels as though, I mean, we're trying to tread water to get to the playoffs. We've got to get in the playoffs, guys. The Flamingos are back in action at home this Saturday against one of the squads new to USL1 this season, Lexington SC. Kickoff is earlier than usual with the action beginning at 5 p.m. Central. FMFC will follow that up with their final road match of the season amongst the Rocky Mountains as they travel to face Northern Colorado Hailstorm FC. Kickoff for that match will be 8 p.m. local time. For WORT, this has been Ford Focus. It's 6.54 p.m. and you're listening to the Handcrafted Local News on WORT. Thanks for staying tuned to the localist news around. And our guests this evening, Sean and Jay, have one last word and hopefully some people to thank. How's it going over there, Sean and Jay? Thank you, Marcus. Uh, Sean Bull, Jay Davis here. Uh, Jay, how is our effort going tonight? Well, we had the one donor during Democracy Now!, but as of yet, we have had no donors on the local news, unfortunately. Uh, you know, it's how it goes sometimes during our, our drives. Uh, we want to thank you all for listening regardless. And mm -hmm. uh, it's not only our listeners we have to thank. There's a lot of people who actually uh, support us during these very critical hours of our pledge drive. Uh, we have our local volunteers. We also have uh, meals donated for the people who are working very hard to keep this all going throughout the day. Uh, I believe it's pronounced Bandung. Bandung, it's yeah. An Indonesian restaurant which provided an incredible pad thai for uh, tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they also had a vegetarian option, I believe, uh, noodles as well. Uh, that's that's over on Willie Street, uh, sort of mm -hmm. the near end to the capital, if y'all want to check that out at some point. Uh, volunteers, who who we got to thank tonight? Uh, yeah, I mean, we thank our volunteers. We've mentioned the staff collective many times. So I want to thank Stacy and Marcus for hosting an incredible show tonight. They've done a fantastic job. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've never heard my voice said in such voluptuous, amazing tones. <laughs> uh, just, I mean, I couldn't ask for anything more. It was, it was more than worth it to come in for this. Uh, be a pledge rapper tonight. Yeah. Thank you as well to our engineer, Nicole Alley. Uh, yes. Uh, keeping it all together here. Uh, uh, who, who's on the phones tonight? We had Adrian on the phones earlier. We have Ralph uh, as our receptionist tonight, uh, who uh, did a great job manning the fort. Um, but, yeah, no, I think that is everybody. Yeah, thank you all so much. Thank you just in general to our community. And thank you for listening. Uh, donations or not, we appreciate all of you. Thank you. 
And please keep those calls coming at 608-256-2001. Thanks for the support. The WORT Local Live News at 6. Your reporter tonight was Sarah Gabler. Peter Voller and Russ, Russ Mackey wrote your headlines. Special thanks to feature contributors Nick Wiggyhout, Pat Hansberg, and Evan Warwick. Engineer LaCoe Alley got the news on the air. Faye Parks produced this newscast. And Ms. Sholly Pittman is the news director here at WORT. Thank you guys for listening. I'm your host, Marcus Slate. And I'm your host, Stacey Harbaugh. Don't forget, you can also give online at WORT.org slash donate. We'd love to have you give to the next show, which is the Perpetual Notion Machine. Stay tuned. Keep giving. Good night.